Hey, let's pray. So, Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for our time worshiping you together with one voice. Uh, I'm always kind of reminded, Jesus, this is, this is one of the few things that, that we do down here in our participation with you that we get to continue doing when we join you, uh, is worshiping and singing together. I just thank you for, for the times like this morning where we get a little glimpse of, of what that's going to be like. Uh, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for a day like today where we get to recognize all the mothers and uh, the, the very special role they play in your kingdom. So, Jesus, I just pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to uh, receive that which you have for us this morning. And that when we leave this morning, we would be uh, different when we walk through the doors, that we would be shaped more into the image of the, the men and women that you've called us to be. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So um, if any of you are planning on going out to eat, there's a good chance you may beat the Methodists there this morning because I got, Scott called me on Thursday, I think, and said, hey, we're going out of town. Could you cover? <laughs> and um, in a, the, the, I had a pretty busy week and weekend, so I, I am prepared. I am prayed up over this, but it may not be real long, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, so Mother's Day, I mean, again, Scott asked me on Thursday, and ordinarily when you, you know, I don't mind preaching on short notice because usually it's just, you can kind of dig into, well, gosh, what's God been teaching me lately? And that's what you're going to get because with the exception of maybe one or two of you in here, nobody else gets to hear that on a regular basis, so it'll all sound like there's something really new. And, but on a topical deal like Mother's Day, you don't really... I hadn't been studying about mothers uh, leading up to Sunday, so um, that's a little disclaimer. So, uh, but thankfully, uh, the Lord was gracious and uh, he showed up, met with me, and said, I got an idea. And so I'm just going to try to be obedient to that idea this morning. But what I really want to talk about, I guess if I were to put a title on this, you paying attention, Benji, the title for this would be Courageous Love. And we're going to talk about courageous love uh, this morning in the context of, of motherhood. But I think it will apply to a broader, uh, broader audience as well. Uh, you know, motherhood in our, in our culture gets represented, it, it's kind of gone through an interesting, uh, I don't know, continuum of, of representation. You know, if you think just in pop culture or whatever, you, you think back to, you know, leave it to Beaver and, you know, there's, there's June Cleaver with the cookies ready when the boys get home from school and, you know, supper's on the table by 5.30 and, and you know, here's the, you know, we, I'm getting chuckles. Does that not happen anymore at anybody's house? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so that was one representation, you know, and then we get you know kind of the the Brady Bunch representation, and in in the you know moms you know busy with all kinds of stuff, but you know the, you know but they're you know but it's a little bit different from June Cleaver, but but still at home. And then we get through this period in the in the eighties and nineties where it was almost. Uh, well, motherhood was really only represented in comedies in the on on TV as near as I can remember, and uh, uh, and you know socially, culturally, 
uh, I think we went through this period where, where women were encouraged to pursue careers over motherhood and to either put off having kids or, or just to sideline motherhood in favor of a career or something like that. And as I, but I think we've, we've kind of got to a different point now in our culture where there's, there's almost a pressure. And I, honestly, I don't know how you ladies even handle this, but there's this pressure now, is there not to like both and, right? I mean, look at uh, Marissa Meyer, the CEO of, of Yahoo. You know, she's this, you know, under 40, you know, uber professional and super mom, you know, and she wears a little red cape around everywhere, I guess. I don't know, but you, know, you just, there's this pressure to be both and, to, to have the career, to, you know, be all that you can be in, in uh, your work life and still have fresh baked cookies out of the oven when the kids get home from school. And to me, that just seems like an enormous amount of pressure. And I don't, I don't know how y'all do that, honestly. Uh, and, and so... But if, I think if, for those of you that, that uh, are mothers or have mothers, did I catch everybody in that? Okay. Uh, if you'll think about motherhood, most of it, an awful lot of it, is done out of the spotlight. Is it not, I mean, it's not something that, you know, we don't have a World Series for motherhood. <laughs> we, uh, we don't have, you know, the, the Grammy Awards for motherhood. Uh, most of it just gets done out of the spotlight, and it's not noticed a whole lot. Uh, and, you know, occasionally, you know, when somebody's getting a Grammy or got MVP of the World Series, they want to thank their mother, and that's about as, as far as it goes <laughs> for recognition uh, at some grand scale for, for motherhood. Um, so a lot of and we'll talk more about this out of the spotlight aspect of it uh, in, in a minute, but there's a, there's a story in the Bible uh, of a particular mother that, that I think is, is an amazing story. And it's a very familiar story. So I'm not going to tell you what it is yet because it'll, you won't listen anymore when I tell you that. But, uh, so we're gonna, but she is a mother who loved extremely courageously her children, her child, this one particular child anyway, and uh, to, the, to the point of risking her own life. Uh, and it had a significant impact on a whole lot of people. And, and I'm talking about Moses' mother, right? And so here's, a, here's your trivia question for the, morning, for the morning. Everybody gets 10 bonus points if you... Oh, wait, did I, there is a quiz. You knew that, right? So these are... Okay, bonus points on the quiz. Everybody gets 10 bonus points. If you can tell me the name of Moses' mother. I hear a vote from Mary. No, Miriam. I'm here. I vote for Miriam. Okay. We're gonna. I'll, I'll read the story. See if you can find it in the story. All right. So this is. Uh, we're in. We're in Exodus, chapter two. Uh, so now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer. Now a backstory to this, if you remember, Pharaoh had issued a decree that. All of the male babies of the Hebrew slaves, let's not forget that they were slaves, okay? This is a slave woman, Hebrew slave woman living in Egypt. All the male babies were to be cast into the Nile River, crocodile food, all the male babies. So she, she had a son. And you can imagine 
Can you not, moms? The, the incredible welling of mixed emotions. I mean, there was no ultrasound, so you don't know until it's there. Like, oh, hey, boy or girl, I don't know. And she sees that she has a son, and she's excited about this healthy baby. But at the same time, there's this huge conflict in her heart, didn't you think? Knowing that the rule, the law, as decreed by Pharaoh, is this baby's supposed to be thrown in the river. So she hides him for three months. Could you imagine trying to hide a three-month-old? <laughs> uh, and when she couldn't hide him any longer, she made a wicker basket, covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. So technically, she kind of followed the rule, right? She did put him in the river. She just included a basket. Didn't say not to, I suppose, right? Okay. So she, she puts her baby, her three-month-old baby, into a basket in the river. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying. Now, no doubt she recognized that this was a Hebrew boy. It would have been easily identifiable. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Yeah, hey, I just happen to be here. Would you like me? Yeah. And so Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yeah, go and go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. This is really beautiful. So then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Not only did she get to nurse her son, but she got paid for it. <laughs> and uh, that, Not a bad gig, right? I mean, she was going to do this anyway. This is what she wanted to do more than anything, was nurse her son instead of throw him in the river. And now she's getting paid to nurse her son. Not bad. But there was a hook, wasn't there? There was a hook. And the hook was, the child wasn't hers anymore. She had to give him up. The child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him, she named him, Pharaoh's daughter named him, Moses. And said, because I drew him out of the water. And then it goes on with the story of Moses. Did you catch her name? It's not there, is it? They don't even say her name. She loved her son courageously. She risked her own life. I mean, Pharaoh's word was, he was ruled by decree. I mean, they considered him divine. They had scribes that wrote down all day long everything he said because what he said was law. And he said, cast the boys into the river. And girls, you can keep. She risked her own life to save her son. But she didn't get to save her son for herself. She had to give him up. She had to give him up. She couldn't keep her son for herself. 
there was this, this trade of I get to see my son live, but he's not mine anymore. Now, part of that was because Moses had a calling on his life, right? So Moses goes on. We know the rest of the story, right? This isn't a surprise to anybody. Spoiler alert if, you haven't, if you're not familiar with Moses. He goes on. They, he leads them all out of slavery, uh, you know, about 80 years later. So she didn't get to see this. Okay, she's got to see him grow up in Pharaoh's house. She may have been able to watch him kill the taskmaster that was beating the Hebrew slave and then get banished to the desert for the next 40 years. That may have been as much as she saw. But she didn't get to see the rest of the story. But she loved her son courageously, very courageously. Scripture doesn't even record her name. Now, we've got a lot of women in the Bible that Scripture holds up for us and says, hey, you know, be like Esther, you know, or whatever. This is in, but here we have Moses' mother. We don't even know her name. You talk about being in the, out of the spotlight, out of the limelight. But her son had a calling on his life. And, and her courageous love made sure that even though she didn't get to keep her child for herself, her courageous love enabled the calling that God had on his life to be fulfilled. Had she not, had she just obeyed the rules or had somebody else obey the rules for her, then, you know, it wouldn't have been Moses. It would have had to be somebody else. Uh, but her courageous love enabled that to happen. And, in, you know, you study Scripture and, and so forth, and one of the things that they like to do with some of the characters in the Old Testament is, you know, this was a, a type of Christ, meaning this was a foreshadowing of what was come. Joshua is very typically held up as, okay, this is somebody that was foreshadowing what Jesus is going to be like. But I want to, I want to turn the tables a little bit here. Thinking about Moses' mother, think about Mary now. I think Moses' mother is kind of a type of Mary. She was foreshadowing Mary in, in, in some ways. Because Mary didn't get to keep her son either, did she? He wasn't hers to keep. He was hers to love and love courageously, right? I mean, this was a child born out of wedlock. That took a lot of courage for a 13-year-old girl. And she loved her son courageously. But she knew she didn't get to keep him. Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? <laughs> and he wasn't talking about Joseph. <laughs> so I think we see in Moses' mother the same kind of pattern that we see later in Mary of this courageous love, of loving her son to the fullest extent of a mother's love, but yet knowing the whole time that it's not her child to keep. She doesn't get to keep her child. This is not a selfish love. This was a love that expanded. And so then Moses goes on to lead them out of slavery. Jesus goes on and leads us from freedom to slavery to sin. Uh, interesting parallels. Interesting parallels between the two of them. But I think courageous love, I think, avoids the spotlight. I think courageous love avoids the spotlight. And uh, as Christy and I talked quite a bit as I was 
trying to say quite a bit. For the amount of prep time that went into this, we talked quite a bit. Uh, uh, and she has this great book that I'm going to reference a couple things. And if you're looking, ladies, if you're looking for a great read, guys, if you're looking for a great Mother's Day gift late, uh, Nicole Johnson's The Invisible Woman, When Only God Sees, really beautiful stuff, really beautiful stuff. But one of the things that she talks about in there are the cathedrals in, uh, you know, the medieval cathedrals from Europe. And, and most of these cathedrals, she says, and I'll just go with it as being accurate, I don't know, we don't, we don't know who built most of them. In fact, most of them took so long to build that there, there were, in all likelihood, several main builders that were in charge of it. But by and large, for the most part, their names are completely lost to history. We have no idea who they were. And yet, they built these incredible, magnificent cathedrals that are still standing, that are still, in many cases, used as, as places where, where God's name is worshipped. And, but we don't know who they are. But they left behind this beautiful legacy, and they did it solely for the glory of God. Um, you know, it, it was this staying out of the spotlight aspect. And in fact, what they've dis- discovered within the last uh, you know, few decades, there were a lot of sculptures and so forth that were actually hidden in the walls of these cathedrals. Gorgeous sculptures, gorgeous pieces of art, that were crafted and then walled up because they were only for God to see. They weren't there to receive praise from men for these gorgeous pieces of art. They put them there because God would see them and God would know that this was to his glory, not so that we can have people pat us on the back for how great our artwork is. And so this, this idea of this anonymity in, in doing things only so the Lord is pleased not so we get recognized in front of thousands of people for how great we are, but just because the Lord would be pleased with it. And she uses these cathedrals to illustrate the point, obviously, that you know, since much of motherhood is done out of the spotlight, uh, out of public eye, and we don't do anything on a grand scale to honor the world's greatest mothers like we do other people, entertainers and whatnot, uh, that this is why we do it. It's for the glory, I say we, you know what I mean, for the glory of God, not so that people will come pat us on the back, but because God is pleased with our efforts. So I think courageous love avoids the spotlight. In fact, she's got this really, really beautiful quote. Invisibility is not inflicted upon me. It is a gift to help me truly serve. Invisibility is not inflicted upon me. It is a gift to help me truly serve. In other words, if you're serving for reasons other than invisibility, you may not really be serving, right? You may be trying to get a pat on the back. You may be trying to get, oh, hey, way to go. So this invisibility, this out-of-the-spotlightness, she sees as a gift because now I can really be serving. This is where the servant's heart is found. The servant's heart is found in anonymity and in invisibility. So a servant's heart 
A courageous love avoids the spotlight. And I think courageous love is, is done with, with excellence because it's done to the glory of God. So when you love courageously, when you love like we see Moses' mother loving, I mean, it, she knew that she didn't get to keep her son. But she still loved him, I think, to the fullest extent that a mother is capable of loving her child. She did not hold back simply because she knew she didn't get to keep him. Nor did Mary. Mary didn't hold back because she knew she didn't get to keep Jesus. They did it to the best ability that they had. And so courageous love is done with excellence because that's what pleases the Lord. Not because of the, the way to go or the, the, you know, the recognition from it, but just because that's what pleases the Lord. And courageous love recognizes the calling in your children. A courageous love recognizes that, you know, the reality is none of our kids are ours to keep, are they? God has a plan for for all of us. And courageous love, a courageous mother's love, raises her children so that they're prepared for what God has called them to, so that she can see them go out and fulfill what God has called them to. She does not raise them up so that she can keep them in the nest. She raises them up so that she can see God's plan fulfilled through their life. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great when God's plan for their life, you know, includes grandkids and living in the same zip code. Right, but that the reality is that doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> Not very often. Uh, you know, sometimes God's plan for our children it it looks scary. Maybe it looks dangerous. Maybe we don't. Maybe it's not what we had. We think God's plan for our kids' life is to, you know make a ton of money and be a great benefactor to missions. That's right? I mean, that'd be great. (laughs) But maybe our kid is supposed to be the missionary and and go. And maybe we only get to see them when they come home on furlough. That's hard. You know, maybe they're having kids in a hut in the third world someplace instead of at the hospital. My grandkid being born in a hut? Are you kidding me? Come home. Courageous love prepares their children for whatever God has called them to. And we don't get to choose that. (laughs) And that's not always fun. But we don't get to choose what God calls our kids to. But we can make sure that they're ready to the best of our ability. So obviously the, the, the challenge from this is you know, moms in particular, but but all of us with kids, are we loving courageously? Are we loving selflessly out of the spotlight? Are we loving to the best of our ability, not holding back? 
you know, are we recognizing that our kids really aren't ours to keep? We're entrusted with them. And, but at some point, we get to let them go. And we get to see what God wants to do through them. And, and our job is to make sure they're ready. One of the best pieces of parenting advice we ever got, Christy and I went through some, you know, Mallory was being born. We went through, the, you know, you have no idea what you're doing, so you go take a parenting class, right? Like, this is going to help. And so, uh, I mean, it's just really, I mean, we would do all, we've got books, we've got classes, but there's really nothing you can do to be prepared to be a parent, right? Because there isn't anything else like it. <laughs> there's nothing you can go do that will help you understand how it is. So anyway, but the best piece, we did get a little nugget out of this class that was, you're not raising children, you're raising future adults. Oh, whoo. That's a little different perspective. That's keeping, the, that's keeping the end point in mind all the time. What's the end game here? What's the end point? What are we trying to see at the end of this? And what we're trying to see at the end of this, I think, is uh, maybe you would agree with this, maybe disagree, but I, I want to see my kids grow into adults that love the Lord with all their heart, that follow him wherever they lead, and that they have a, a courageous and bold love for Jesus. That's what I'd like to see out of my kids. And, I mean, there's other things that go with that, too. I mean, you know, good manners, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but that's the end game. And so, you know, what are we doing right now, today, to love our kids courageously? And that doesn't stop, does it? Just because your kids become adults, you don't stop loving your kids courageously. It changes. Sometimes it does. <laughs> If my mother were here, she would say amen. <laughs> Loudly. Uh, but we're still called to love courageously. And it's still selfless. It's still avoiding the spotlight. It's still done with excellence. It's still recognizing that there's a calling on our kids' lives. So that's my encouragement. That's my challenge is that we would love our kids courageously, and moms, you would, you would see the cloak of anonymity that comes with much of motherhood as a gift for helping you really serve and really love, and that, you know, Mother's Day Sunday is about all you get out of the deal. <laughs> that's about it, and if your kids send you a card when they're adults, that's even better, but, you know, but to love courageously. Last comment. You know, we, the World War II generation gets referred to as the greatest generation, right? I actually take issue with that. And, and don't get mad at me. Just hear me out and see if you might not agree with this. I, I've taken issue with that since I first heard it. And the problem I have with that, and I, not that they weren't great. They are, they're great. You bet. I mean, the, the whole selflessness and the, the, the acts of service and, and, and selflessness that went on in our country during World War II from that generation are to be admired, and I wish we had that. But the reason I don't refer to them as the greatest generation in my mind is because their kids, and again, don't get mad because some of us fall into this category here, 
the kids were the baby boomer generation. And sociologists say that this is the most self-centered, you know, uh, uh, egotistical bunch of kids that we've seen grow up ever in our country. So they didn't pass those traits on to their kids. Those traits that made the World War II generation the greatest generation, they didn't pass them on. I kind of think that the greatest American generation are the parents of the World War II generation. That's what I think. They're the ones that raised the kids that were willing to make the sacrifices that needed to be made and do what needed to be done to help our country survive both the Great Depression and World War II. I think it's their parents that were the greatest American generation. Where'd they get that stuff? You know, they didn't just make it up on the spot. They were a product of families and parents that instilled that in them. So, you know, let's, let's instill this in our kids. Let's let our kids go on to become courageous mothers and fathers that love their kids courageously. Because wouldn't that be the best, right? To see your grandchildren get loved courageously. Carol Burnett says grandchildren are your reward for not killing your own kids. <laughs> so, so let's see our grandkids get loved courageously. And that starts with us loving our kids courageously. So moms, thank you for what you do. Thank you for being willing to put up with the anonymity that comes with it. Many of you in here I know have either sidelined or rearranged careers and all kinds of things to make sure that you get to be the moms that, that you want to be, that you feel called to be. And it's not, I mean, I'm not saying you can't have a career and be a mom. The reality of our world today is a lot different and it just takes two incomes. But thanks for what you do and thanks for being willing to be working in anonymity to be the moms that you feel called to be. And hopefully you feel encouraged to love your kids courageously and remember Moses' mother, even though we have no idea what her name was, for loving her son courageously. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that uh, you also modeled for us courageous love. Thank you that you don't leave us to figure this out on our own, but you promise that your spirit will embolden us to do that which you've called us to do. So we just ask for that now. We just ask for your spirit to empower the mothers in our midst this morning to love their kids, their grandkids courageously so that we would raise up another generation that loves courageously and so that ultimately your kingdom is made known because our kids love you courageously and follow you courageously. In Jesus' name, amen.